If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Well, hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 198 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on October 8th, 2023, the second October episode. Episode 198. We're two episodes away from 200, guys, the bicentennial of Yapping Yankees. It's about four years and four months ago now that I began this show. Three or four months. And I just can't believe we made it this far. Episode 198. A big goal that I set out for myself at the beginning of this whole thing was to make it to at least 200 episodes. That was over four years ago. Fast forward all the way here now, which of course it felt like we arrived here in the blink of an eye because that's how time always works. And we're just two away from 200. Unbelievable. And it's sad that we have to be this close amidst early premature, you could say because of the Yankees since they make it to the playoffs nearly every single year. So in that context, premature in a way, off-season times, because let's say the Yankees were amidst a big playoff run right now in the division series with all the rest of the other teams— Right now, we'd be approaching episode 200 in the middle of playoff time for the Yankees. But of course, it had to happen this year. They don't make it. So, unfortunately, episode 200 is going to be in a time where, yes, the playoffs will still be going on for others, but it's going to be going on when it's the offseason for the Yankees already, when it could be all the more exciting, maybe amidst the American League Championship Series with the World Series right around the corner if the Yankees were to make it that far? Can you imagine how exciting that would have been? Oh my god, I can't even imagine what that would be like approaching episode 200 near World Series times. It's like a like an all-time fantasy. My god. Maybe, maybe when we approach episode 300, but hopefully sooner than that because anywhere from like 235 to 250 will probably be around this time next year. And obviously the Yankees want to win the World Series as soon as possible, but let's say they also don't win in 2024. If it's timed out right, by 2025, maybe we'll be around episode 300. Who knows? Only time will tell, and hopefully that fantasy could come true because that would be epic if we're approaching a milestone mark. Hey, 250 would be fine if they want to do it around the time of next year because that's still a quarter of a millennium. I guess it's somewhat of a milestone if you look at it like that. But anyways, yes, the point is I cannot believe we are approaching 200. What I'm going to do for it, I have no idea. (laughs) But we'll, of course, make it a fun episode, as fun of discussion as we possibly could amidst it being an off-season episode for the Yankees at least, obviously. But I'll still make it fun, obviously, talking about yapping Yankees history, come up with a fun social media segment, maybe. We'll have sound effects incorporated. And I have had a lot of people ask me, 
about what other things I could add to the show. And yes, I'm very limited for time because of what I do otherwise for work. And obviously, I value my relaxation time, of course, because I do this on Sundays. I work five days a week at a full-time job. So I have my hands full in my life in general. But I do also, obviously, being a content creator, have people asking me questions like every content creator gets asked questions. What else could I add to the show? Will there be interviews someday? Will I make it visual someday? These are all things that cross my mind at certain points. I don't know what'll take place. I don't know if I'll have interviews. You definitely have a better chance of there being interviews than you do it being visual someday because, yeah, if I do visuals, it'll probably be something just completely separate, like maybe a, a live stream or something like that. Maybe I'll take that up someday. But as far as the podcast, I want to keep it as like radio-esque and traditional to that sense as possible. I'm a radio guy first and foremost, and I like to keep that radio element about it, audio only, can't really see me, so you have to imagine, you know, just sort of like listening to someone telling a story. I like that because that's how radio is as a medium, and I'm a radio guy first and foremost, so I like to keep that radio element with it only being audio only, a podcast. That's what I believe it to be. So I like for it to be that way. So yeah, that doesn't really eliminate the possibility of interviews. I mean, I'd be open to doing that someday as long as I find a viable way to do it and to incorporate it into the show. I'd be glad to do that. Maybe I will take that up someday. I definitely don't have the kind of time to prep that sort of thing prior to episode 200 in just two weeks, but I'd like to do it someday. But that doesn't mean episode 200 won't still be fun. Episode 50 was fun, episode 100 was fun, episode 150 was fun, and 200 will be fun as well. I have my ways of entertaining. May not entertain everybody, but can't please everybody either, so there's that. But it'll be fun nonetheless, but I just cannot believe we're closing in on it nonetheless. And like I was talking about before at the Yankees offseason, yes, it has officially begun. And with this being the first official 2023 offseason episode, I do want to express my appreciation to each and every one of you out there for yet another great season of coverage here on Yapping Yankees. I really hope I delivered as far as what you're looking for as I did the last four or five years. I've been covering the Yankees since 2019 in May or June, so more than half of 2019 and all of the fun, misery, and chaos otherwise that has ensued in between all the way up to now. So that's 2019, 2020, 21, 22, and this was my fifth season of coverage here. So I hope that this was amongst the best, if not the best for you, since I've started, of course, because obviously content creators hope to improve year by year, not to regress. So I hope that it was a fun season for you, fun season of Yankees coverage on Yapping Yankees here. I know I have my loyal following out there, and I love each and every one of you to death. I cannot express to you in words. I say it all the time because it is the truth, guys. There are no words to express how much I appreciate you dedicating even a minute of your day to listening to me just ramble on like a maniac about the Yankees for sometimes hours <laughs> on some weeks just about one subject being the Yankees, a subject we love so much. But I'm also well aware of how much more competition there is out there content-wise. How many other options you have to listen to when it comes to talking about the Yankees. Or just in general, about any subject you care about. Yet, you spend at least, I don't know, a few seconds on me. That means more than I can tell you. Really. For us content creators, it really is the privilege of a lifetime. We are never bigger than our listeners or our fans. At least I never am. I always stay humble with this stuff. And I really, really value anyone just even giving me a second of their time. Even if it's just in passing. If you just happen to be listening to this, if this is the first time you're listening to me, 
and you've never heard a single minute of Yapping Yankees before, I already appreciate you being here for these few seconds. I'm not even joking. Yes, it helps to not have a monstrous following yet because then you really, really still appreciate it. But even some of those big guys still appreciate it. Even if I get to that point someday of being huge, I will still appreciate it because I value people giving me even a second of their time. It's valuable, especially with how short people's attention spans are in today's world. The fact if you can even get five seconds because, let's face it, that's how long some YouTube and Instagram reels are. That's how long some TikTok videos are. And sometimes that's all certain people's attention spans can take. That's why things like that are so popular. You see so many likes. You see so many comments. You see so much interaction. It's because that's what people like. So whenever you make a long-form piece of content, like a podcast like this, where some weeks I go for nearly or just about two hours some weeks, and some other weeks I'll go like maybe an hour, maybe even a little less. It depends on the week and how much is going on, what time of the season it is, if it's the off-season. A lot of it, it's a lot of factors. But regardless, 10 seconds or more is, believe it or not, and I know my generation understands this, but for those in the older generations who don't understand this, sometimes 10 plus seconds is a lot of time to require of someone. It really is. That's how short our attention spans have become. So it's for that reason and because of how much you may enjoy my content, especially if you're with me from the beginning, perhaps. I know there are plenty of you out there who I'm beyond fortunate enough to have be that loyal. But I just really appreciate it. Again, whether you're just passing by here just now, whether you've only been around for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a couple of years, or from the very beginning especially, I just can't tell you how much I appreciate you and how much I love you for just spending time with me. Each week maybe even. That'd be epic if you're one of those. Cannot properly express to you in words how much I appreciate you and how much I value you. And how happy I am for you to be a part of the team, because that's what we are here. We're a team. Just like the Yankees and any other beloved sports team that we may follow, even though the Yankees weren't the best of teams this year, we are a much better team as them. (laughs) I still appreciate you nonetheless for yet another season of support and following along and spreading the word about the show. I just cannot tell you how much I love you guys. Thank you so, so much for yet another great season of following along and the support, and the love, even if it seems like I don't really pay attention to a particular person that may be promoting, or just following along, or showing appreciation to me for the show, or just showing their love and support, believe me, I try to get around to everybody, and I think I do a damn good job at it, for you know, because we don't have every second of every day to just stay glued to our phones, we do have things to do, especially me, but... I really try to get around to each and every one of you. For those who I don't, whether it be in general or in a social media segment even, because a lot of the time I don't get to everybody's responses, questions, whatever it may be, just know that that doesn't mean that I appreciate you any less than any of my other fans because that couldn't be further from the truth. I appreciate and love all of you, and thank you for another great season of following along. But with that season having come and gone now, obviously, again, it is officially the offseason for the Yankees. And I say for the Yankees because it's not the offseason for everybody, of course, because, well, duh, the playoffs are going on. It just so happens that the Yankees are not a part of them this year because they had a disgraceful 2023 season, which we have spoken about at length for over six months now. <laughs> so there's definitely no need to continue to sound like a broken record on top of everything that we have already spoken about for months on end. But... That doesn't mean I'm not following postseason baseball, because like I said last week, 
I love postseason baseball. Even if the Yankees are not a part of it, which of course, I'd rather them be a part of it given a choice, but I don't have a choice. None of us do. And the fact of the matter is they are not a part of it. But that doesn't mean I haven't watched it since the moment it began, because I have. And it has been quite an adventure so far. I thought I'd just mention it briefly here at the start of the show in the intro because, hey, it is an off-season episode. These episodes are obviously not going to be as long as regular season episodes. Content significantly decreases for any sport and for any content producer of any team in any sport when the off-season comes around naturally because the season naturally provides much more content. But that doesn't mean the episodes here at Yapping Yankees will get any less entertaining. But it also doesn't mean we can't follow other people because the Yankees were too crappy to be a part of the postseason fun, right? <laughs> so thought I'd just give a quick update on what's going on for anybody else who does care about baseball outside of just the Yankees, which I do. But obviously the wild card round. It has come and gone already. I did say last week that by the time we speak again this weekend, the DS would be going on, and it is, even if it's just the beginning. But the wildcard series have come and gone already. And they happen in about five seconds because, I mean, well, the eight teams, Texas, Tampa, Toronto, Minnesota, Arizona, Milwaukee, the Marlins, and the Phillies. Those were your teams involved in the wild card rounds. Obviously, only two of those teams were not wild card teams. The six out of the eight were, but they need two division winners as well to face the wild card teams. The worst division winner has to partake in the wild card games in each league, and then obviously the other teams are the other wild card teams. So, for instance, the Twins were a division winner in the American League Central, but they were the worst of the three division winners, so they had to play the wild card Blue Jays. And you have the other two wild card teams, one and two, in the Rangers and the Rays playing each other. Same thing for the National League. The Brewers were a division winner, the worst of the three, so they had to play the final wild card Diamondbacks, just like in the American League, with the Twins and the Blue Jays. And the other two wild card teams being the Phillies and the Marlins. That's how it usually works. And these series wrapped up before I could even blink. <laughs> I mean, it just was really crazy, especially, especially it was fun for me because I obviously do not, and you could call this twisted logic or a logic fail if you want, saying that, hey, you should root for the people in your division to go far because it represents how strong your division is. Obviously, the American League East, like it is almost every single season, was the best division. But you wouldn't know that where we are now because the Rays and the Blue Jays both got their asses handed to them <laughs> by their respective opponents. The Rays got absolutely thrashed by the Rangers. So the Rays, again, they're proving to be a pretty fraudulent team winning 99 games and then getting absolutely cleaned out in the wildcard series against the Rangers, who I believe only won 90, if I'm not mistaken. I'll just double-check that. Yes, 90 and 72. And the Rays did not even play as if they had any true intention to win. In the first game, not only did Montgomery completely shut them down, the Rangers, who have a damaged rotation, especially with guys like DeGrom out for the entire year, got Tommy John months ago, and you got Max Scherzer going through his injury problems. They got a banged-up rotation. But Montgomery who is also pitching today, relishing in run support, something that the Yankees never gave him, has really shown the ability to step up in a big spot. And good on him. 
I never had a problem with Montgomery. I wish him nothing but the best. But that does not mean that he is the only reason they won, because like I said, the Rays really never displayed any true intention to want to win. They had four errors in the first game. All embarrassingly so. Just very unusual. They just did not seem like they even cared. So the Rangers blanked them for nothing. And then the Blue Jays against the Twins. I mean, listen, I know the Twins won the AL Central, but I mean, the Twins have never been anything but fraudulent in my eyes either. I thought the Blue Jays would take care of them. But the Blue Jays, just like the Rays, both of them in two games only scoring one run, one run in 18 innings in a very important short series that could see them knocked out right away just a couple of days after the end of the season. And neither of them played like they really had any intention to move on to the division series. Because also in the first game, the Twins won 3-1. to And they jumped out to a 2-0 lead early, then added on another in the third. Royce Lewis carried them to victory. The Blue Jays could not scratch more than just one run across. And that came in the sixth inning on a Kiermaier RBI single. And other than that, they didn't score the rest of the series. All the Twins had to do was score two the next night and win 2 nothing. That is it. So, I mean, yeah, the Blue Jays managed to get a lot of base runners, but they couldn't push anything across, couldn't get anything done. Sonny Gray kept them off the board for five innings in the second game. All it took scoring-wise for the Twins were two runs in the bottom of the fourth, one on a Correa RBI single and a Willie Castro double play ball, driving home Max Kepler, and that's all it took. So the Blue Jays wiped out, and then the Rays... After making four errors in the first game, only put up one run and lose 7-1 to one in their second game. Bing, bang, boom. Before you know it, the Loudmouth Blue Jays and Tampa Bay Rays are both out. Holy crap. Yeah, I was saying the same thing. <laughs> I was. And at least the Rays, you know, they may have won 99 games. The Blue Jays, I would say they're, they still have not reached the absolute potential that people envisioned them two years ago when guys like Bichette and Guerrero came up and they had all this excitement around them and, and hype for the future. And now they're even just flopping in the wild card round. Guys, they've been talking about this film that we're going to see in this next great chapter for the Blue Jays and saying that past years they've also come up short. You've only seen the trailer. Guys, a trailer can only act as a teaser and should be played for only so long before the film has to come out eventually. People are going to stop taking you seriously eventually if they have not already. Just saying. And then, honestly, another series in the National League kind of surprised me as well. Because all of the wildcard series were two-game sweeps. None of them went to a Game 3. The Diamondbacks defeated the Brewers 6-3 on the first day, and then 5-2 on the second day. And then this one, I wasn't too surprised about, but the Phillies managed to take care of the Marlins in both games. 4-1 in the first game, and then 7-1 the second game on Wednesday. So, the season ends on Sunday. And then all the trash talking from teams like the Blue Jays and the Rays. And you have teams that are knocked out only three days after the season ended. So really, I mean, 99 wins if you're the Rays and fighting for that wild card spot like the Blue Jays did. For what? You only lasted a couple of days longer than teams that didn't even make it. Hmm. And then even the Brewers, who were a division winner, I mean, they just got cleaned out by the Diamondbacks. 
beating them by three runs each night and just keeping the Brewers off the board for the most part, and the Diamondbacks just outscoring them. And the Phillies just made easy business of the Marlins. So, before you know it, on Wednesday, all the series are over. Wildcard series, done. It's been over for four days already. So here we are now, four days later, at the very beginning of the division series, game one of each DS played just yesterday. The Rangers coming off of facing one American League East team, going to another American League East team. The best one in the division won over 100 games this year, the young stud team Baltimore Orioles. And believe it or not, they are handling business. This series, I think it's safe to say, has baseball fans pretty surprised. Now, whether it be Baltimore's postseason inexperience, or maybe certain weak parts of the team being exposed as they often are for certain teams in the playoffs because you have the best of the talent in baseball in the playoffs. So if you have weaknesses on a team, they are going to get exposed there. It could be either one, something else different entirely, or maybe a little bit of everything. But regardless, the Rangers jumping out to a 2 nothing lead in the fourth inning in yesterday's game. Baltimore answers back right away in the bottom half of the inning. And then the Rangers add on another in the sixth. Baltimore responds with one more, down 3-2. And the Rangers just hold it down from there. With help from Aroldis Chapman, might I remind, because he is a part of the Ranger bullpen. So that's a nice reminder. But nonetheless, the Rangers hold on to that one. Game one on the road in Baltimore. Big win for them to start the series. Then you have the Astros and the Twins. Of course, Houston waiting for the Twins after the Twins handled the Blue Jays very convincingly. The Astros jump out to a 5-0 lead by the time the game is halfway done. Up 5-0 by the fifth inning. Twins make it interesting by making it 5-4 in the seventh inning. I mean, that started to freak a lot of people out. Jorge Polanco three-run shot, and then Royce Lewis with a solo shot of his own made it 5-4. But then Jordan just added on some insurance in the bottom of the seventh for the Astros. And they would end up holding that score 6-4 to four and winning game one. So the Twins making things a little interesting. But before the series started, I did say that the Astros would either sweep or the Twins luckily would eke a game out against them at the most. But I have the Astros winning that series. I had Baltimore winning in five against the Rangers. But now, and they're about to lose game two as well today, much more convincingly. But they're going to have to pull a rabbit out of a hat in order to survive this round now, they're going to be heading to Texas down 2 nothing. it seems. And all you got to do is win three in this round, as many of us know, in a best of five. The National League had me completely surprised in both cases. The Phillies blanking the Braves, who are my World Series favorites coming in, in Atlanta, 3 nothing yesterday. Scoring a run in the fourth, scoring a run in the sixth, and then in the seventh. Bryson Stott in the top of the fourth with an RBI single. Bryce Harper with a missile home run to right field in the sixth, and then a run scored on catcher's interference in the top of the eighth. The Braves had no answers, getting five hits on the whole night. Phillies just blanking them, and they win 3 nothing in Atlanta. Big game that I did not expect, but this one right here was the one that I expected the absolute least. This one absolutely and utterly shocked me. You had the Diamondbacks, fresh off of being the Brewers, and 
the Dodgers, who are a 100-win team this year with Clayton Kershaw starting things off in the DS. And a lot of time went by. Yeah, you could imagine that for these division winners, like Atlanta and also the Dodgers. Also, likewise, the Astros and the Orioles, teams who were waiting on the wildcard series to wrap up. They had some time to wait because the season ended on Sunday last week, and they have not gotten to play their first games until yesterday, six days later. Some people always mention that that long layoff for certain division winners could be detrimental to some teams because they might get rusty and they're out of it. Teams like the Rangers who are surprising people, teams like the Diamondbacks who beyond surprised everybody, including myself last night, are teams that have seen action within the last week and cannot be rusty because they've played. So whether it be because of that or because of another reason entirely, I mean this game especially, the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks, the 84-win third wildcard team Diamondbacks against the NL West division-winning 100-win Dodgers in Los Angeles, mind you. The Diamondbacks cleaned them out. They won 11-2 in Los Angeles, completely clobbered Clayton Kershaw. He only got one out, allowing six runs in that first inning. Brutal. Some people aren't surprised because that is the way that Clayton Kershaw has pitched often in the playoffs in years past. In 2020, that changed a bit, but also 2020 was what it was, so take that for what you will. But this time, I would say that he has definitely returned to form for what many people rag on him for, his poor playoff performing, because my God, did it ever come out ugly here. Wow. The Diamondbacks took them to the cleaners, 11-2 in Los Angeles. That completely shocked me. And now you have today, Sunday the 8th, Game 2 of the ALDSs. The NLDS will pick up tomorrow with the American League teams being off. Phillies and Braves and Diamondbacks and Dodgers resume action tomorrow on Monday. Right now you have the Rangers and the Orioles. Yes, yesterday's game between them was very close. Very intense game between two solid teams in Baltimore. But this one, not so much. They're in the bottom of the eighth inning right now at the time I'm taping. Yeah, I'm recording pretty late. It's past 7 o'clock right now. And the Rangers have a 10-5 to lead again. So, they are going to win this game, short of a miracle by the Orioles. And that will result in them going to Texas, down 2 nothing. If you're the Orioles, obviously the odds are very much not in their favor to survive the first round, which yes, would definitely be very unfortunate for them. They had a hell of a season, got a lot of promise for the future, and that's what I'm gauging on Twitter. That's what a lot of Orioles Twitter seems to be looking at already because they seem to be feeling this one's over already. Wouldn't nearly be the first time a DS team has overcome a 2-0 series deficit. It could very well be done. Take it one day, one at bat, one pitch at a time. That's how it gets done. Even the Yankees have managed to do that a couple of times in the last bunch of years throughout this playoff run since 2017. They have done that before. So it's not impossible, but it's going to be a hell of an ask <laughs> because, again, going to Texas down 2 nothing, that's a lot. Could be an experience. Could be weaknesses on the team being exposed. Could be anything. But nonetheless, the 90-win Rangers, 90-win wildcard team ultimately, Rangers, 
defeating the American League East winning 101-win team in the Orioles. So, i definitely say this is an upset. I, for one, came in saying the Orioles would win in five, although I wouldn't be surprised if the Rangers won. So yes, while this isn't what I expected, I'm not totally surprised. I don't know, everything seems to be going quite the opposite from what I said, other than really the Astros and the Twins, because I really felt that was an easy prediction from jump. Basically, I had Orioles winning in five, but wouldn't be surprised if the Rangers come out with it. I have the Astros convincingly moving on beyond the Twins. Convincingly, either a sweep or four games at the most. I had the Braves winning in four, so if that's to happen, they're going to have to win three in a row now. But they don't really care about, you know, making my prediction correct. They just want to move on. But they've got to bounce back after being blanked yesterday. And the Dodgers, I had them sweeping the Diamondbacks. So you best believe that a loss last night, no less than the way that it happened, beyond shocked me. So the Rangers could very well go up 2-0 tonight, heading back to Texas, which is huge for them. And the Astros and Twins, well, I expect another Astros victory, unfortunately. National League picks up action again tomorrow. Then the American League resumes action again on Tuesday. They all play on Wednesday. National League finishes on Thursday. And, of course, if... Games 4 and 5 are necessary. That'll take place Thursday and Friday and Saturday for the National League if necessary. And starting next Sunday the 15th, that's when the CSs should begin. So the ALCS will be starting Game 1 when we speak again next week. So, you know, just keep moving along. That's how it goes. It'll be very interesting to see who moves on and what happens. But the way it's looking, guys, this ought to be real chaos. Because if things continue the way that they are, if the Rangers do in fact manage to defeat the Orioles, possibly even in a sweep if they return to Texas for Game 3 and get the job done, and if the Astros do what I expect them to do and move on from the Twins as much as I would not like that to happen, but I think it's inevitable, you're going to have a championship series, a battle for the American League pennant between two Texas teams. That is going to be chaos for that state. (laughs) I'm almost really excited for it. I'm going to be glued to Twitter during that if that does, in fact, end up being what happens. I cannot wait for that kind of chaos. And if that does take place, it's all going to start next Sunday when we speak again on the 15th. That ought to be interesting. But yeah, the Rangers and the Orioles. Guys, I had the game on next to me as we speak because I just do feel like peeking over every now and again. Just to check on what's going on. The Orioles do have a rally going on right now in the bottom of the eighth with second and third and two outs. Mountcastle's up and he grounds out to short. And that's that. Yeah, so the Orioles are definitely done today. Again, short of a miracle. Now it'll have to happen just in one inning because they're going to the top of the ninth now. But that's the playoff update, guys. Pretty much. A lot shocking me. More so than not, I guess. Because basically every... I, I know I said I wouldn't be surprised if the Rangers did it, but I really did expect the Orioles to at least make it to the CS. I mean, after all, they were the American League's best team. But that's not always how it shakes out. Anything can happen in the playoffs, as we know. But the only series that has started off so far the way I expected it to is the Astros and the Twins. <laughs> that just goes to show you the playoffs are not very predictable. But those were my DS predictions. Let's see how they play out when all is said and done. Unfortunately, though, again, the Yankees are not a part of this fun, as they usually are, because now it is prematurely 
not so much in the sense of 2023. Again, I mean that in the sense that the Yankees usually make it, so we don't have to have this discussion very often. As a matter of fact, we've never had on Yapping Yankees because the last time they didn't make it to the playoffs, it was years before Yapping Yankees even started. So that's why I say premature, because it doesn't happen often. Not premature in the sense that they don't deserve to be here in 2023, because they definitely deserve to, because they stunk. <laughs> so prematurely in the sense that this almost never happens, the Yankees' offseason has already begun, as has the chatter. There's already been some news that is being whispered about in the Yankee community, and we'll discuss it a bit here in Yankees news, obviously, because the offseason format, this is really what it is. I ramble a bunch for an introduction, talk about any Yankees news out there that might be floating around or has definitively happened, and then we do the social media segment, more or less the same format, just without the weekly recap, because there are no games to recap anymore. So, if you want anything close to a sort of recap, I guess you could just enjoy it throughout the playoffs when I briefly touch on what's going on. But other than that, the chatter has begun already, guys. And the chatter this offseason is... change. What are they talking about? What would they be actually willing to do? If anything. Because the question that we ask ourselves, and the question that I mainly ask myself these days, especially with some of the chatter that has already begun to start the offseason here, inevitably, because like I said on last week's episode, they can talk a big game as much as they want. Actions speak louder than words. The main question that I continue to ask myself, especially amidst the beginning here, is are we on the road to nowhere? Coming into the offseason... We've heard constant discussion about the Yankees potentially hiring an outside company to evaluate how they do things, how they implement their strategies, their analytics, what they could do differently in the front office, on the field, different strategies and different ideals that they could potentially utilize, and all these things that they'd be willing to do and are possible to be evaluated this offseason. Just a bunch of whispers going around. And you've continued to hear a little bit about that as the offseason has now officially begun. But still, the same thing qualifies for me. The Yankees have spoken a big game before. They just did it a year ago. When after they signed Rodon, they said, we're not done yet, only they were done. So they tend to talk a big game sometimes. And then they don't always deliver. And oftentimes, even when they have delivered the last few years, it has not panned out nearly the way they had planned. But the question still remains, what are they actually willing to do? And what do we think that they're actually willing to do in order to legitimately change things? Well, there was a piece of news that did come out this past week that could allude to where their mindset may or may not be at or may not be really relevant at all when it comes to their plans or lack thereof this winter, depending on what they actually plan on doing. But it was revealed at the beginning of this past week that the Yankees do expect to keep a couple of guys already. One of them I don't have a problem with, especially because he was just hired. And I don't think that he and any of his predecessors had as big of a voice here as we are led to believe. And that's Sean Casey, the hitting coach. He's expected to stay. Which, again, I don't have a problem with because I don't think that they play an unbelievable role in this team. Yes, I do think they talk to the players and they try to implement their thoughts and everything. But the Yankees do have their way of doing things. And it starts from the top. So I think the hitting coach's voice is limited. I've thought that for a while now. Not completely useless, but definitely at least limited. 
but also for the fact that Sean Casey was only just hired, you know, around like halfway through the season. He's only been here a couple of months, give or take. So I don't have a problem with him sticking around, see what can happen maybe with him there for an entire season's worth of time. But it was also revealed, and some people said that the Sean Casey news about him sticking around could allude to this, and it seems to have done that, that the Yankees are expecting to also hold on to Aaron Boone for 2024. That was said at the beginning of the week. Now, I don't take as big of an issue with this for two reasons. One, because as I've said, if they only did fire Boone and did nothing else when it comes to the internal infrastructure of the Yankees, I don't think that would bring about the change that a lot of people would think that it would. I just don't. I think they have a lot more work to do beyond just that, starting with Brian Cashman. Goes up to him, guys, and all the people around him, and his brain trust, as they say. So it would take a lot more than just getting rid of Aaron Boone. And two, because I never thought they'd get rid of Boone in the first place. (laughs) I have said for weeks now, if you've listened to me, I've said it forever, that I do not think the Yankees are anywhere close to thinking about a managerial change. They have expressed constantly how much they like and believe in Aaron Boone. So why would they get rid of him? Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying it's the right thing to hang on to him. I'm just saying I'm not surprised (laughs) that they are hanging on to him. And you shouldn't be either if you always hear about how the players and the organization as a whole talks about how much they like and respect Aaron Boone. There have also been other things, though. There are some whispers now they might not hire an outside company in order to evaluate how they do things internally. In fact, to the best of my understanding, they're basically just saying at this point in time that they're willing to evaluate things themselves, almost like a self-evaluation, if you will. Now, if they do something like that and they do not hire an outside company or maybe just anyone from an objective point of view outside the organization to really let them know what they're doing wrong, here's the issue with that. The issue with that is that you cannot fix a problem if you cannot even realize the problem. You ever hear the expression, the first part of solving a problem that you have is acknowledging that you have a problem and what it is in the first place? And if they can't do that, which I mean they've proven for years on end now that they cannot do that, then how are they supposed to properly evaluate themselves and figure out what it is they're doing wrong if they don't even know where to begin or to look? That's the issue. I think they definitely need someone on the outside to really help them out here. That's what I think. Because they need a complete analytics overhaul. I'm not saying get rid of analytics because you need it. It's part of the game. It should be there. Numbers have always been and always should be a part of baseball. But you need to know how to properly utilize and implement them. This is something that the Yankees have not done. This is something that a lot of world championship teams in the last bunch of years have done correctly, and the Yankees have not been able to. Despite being this proud, analytical team, they just don't really seem to make much of it or get very far with it. So they've got to figure this out. There have been no definitive details on what they planned with this, I mean, we know that we heard Aaron Judge on the interview that I played last week that he has been speaking to people in the front office. He's been speaking to Cashman. He's been speaking to Hal. He's even been speaking to Aaron Boone and many others possibly because he does not seem happy with what took place this year. And he vowed that a lot of what we saw this year would not take place again next year. But 
I mean, whether it be because of Aaron Judge or something or someone else, there does seem to be some desire to change things, but the Yankees have a lot of work to do. We've spoken about their need to implement their analytics differently, to study them and utilize them differently, like teams who are actually successful in using them do. You need to improve the lineup itself. The offense was a disgrace this year. A lot of the rotation, a lot of them are question marks outside of Garrett Cole, as we've spoken about at length and will continue to all offseason long. Because I dare you to name anyone who is anywhere close to a sure thing in this rotation outside of Garrett Cole. Because no one and nothing is ever a sure thing in this life. But you can be damn close to a sure thing. And that's what Garrett Cole feels like, the man who's about to win the American League Cy Young if the voters have a single clue as to what they're doing. Can you name anyone else in that rotation anywhere close to that? Because I can't. And I guarantee you can't either. Because if any Yankee fan, if any self-respecting Yankee fan is being honest with themselves, then they won't be able to as well. The bullpen's the most sure thing as they finish with the best ERA yet again. They have continually for years now proven to be the major strength of the Yankee team. And yeah, you could, you could, you know, find improvements out there. But it's probably the least out of all other elements of the team, priority-wise. But the point is, the Yankees have a lot of work to do. And they have already proven that some things are staying exactly the same. Boone is sticking around. Guys like Sean Casey are sticking around, which again, I don't have as big of a problem with for all the reasons I mentioned before. You have to imagine Cashman, of course, as I've said for a long time now, despite me being on the fire Cashman train for a couple of years now, Cashman is not going anywhere. Whether he be on the hot seat or not, that's another story that we can only find out if we're within the Yankee organization, and we're not. At least I'm not. Maybe there's someone listening out there that is, and they're just keeping it themselves, being like, ha, Mike, I know, and you don't. Yeah, I don't. But fact of the matter is, I don't see him going anywhere. Definitely not. So, really, what is being changed, if anything? And this brings about the big question of the day. Are we on the road to nowhere? To nothing changing, nothing significant at least, and for the most part at least, running it back next year. I see people talking about all sorts of trades, all sorts of signings that could take place. That would just be completely underwhelming and not be the big change that the Yankees need. Names that we've heard for months now, especially someone that we were hearing about at the deadline a lot, Dylan Carlson from St. Louis. I hear people talking about Kevin Kiermeyer. While he has his pluses, and he had a bit of a rebound season this year offensively, a lot of years in the recent past, he has proven to be a below-average hitter. While, yes, a terrific outfielder, has amazing speed and a great glove, yes, absolutely. But it's offense the Yankees need, people. They need guys who hit harder and have a bigger impact than guys like these two. Just for instance, just for the sake of example, for what I've been hearing lately. They need more than that. A lot more. If the Yankees' entire offseason is acquiring a Dylan Carlson or a Kevin Kiermeyer, just for instance. And they say, yeah, we've improved the lineup. We've had, we have people who can bat from the left side of the plate now. Yeah, we're done. No, you're not. <laughs> At least 
if you have any sort of aspirations for competing whatsoever within this current championship window, air quotes around championship, because that's what it's supposed to be. Meanwhile, they didn't even make the playoffs this year. But if you have any legitimate and respectable aspirations of competing, no, you are not done, my friends. You have a lot of work to do. Like we've spoken about, I think some changes should be made in the front office. And if Cashman is going to stick around with, which yes, like I said about Aaron Boone, and it seems I was right about that already, about him not going anywhere, I'm pretty damn sure Cashman's not going anywhere as of this winter either, or anytime soon probably, because of how content and comfortable the Steinbrenners are with him. Then at least some people around Cashman should change. Maybe anywhere where someone else with a different mindset and a different strategy could whisper in his ear and maybe encourage him to change course at least a little bit on certain things and certain decisions he makes. Just maybe. And that could trickle down. They, of course, have the analytics to look over, as I've mentioned as well. Got to have an overhaul in that department. It's been unacceptable. Certain decisions they make and certain amounts of logic that they have, that they spew to the public, that just defy what we see with our very own eyes and deny reality. I would also look into the players and the programs that they do in the winter or even throughout the season and see if there's any measure that could be taken to decrease injury probability. Because, of course, injuries have been the biggest problem with this team for a long time now. They start right away before the season even begins. In spring training, you already see injuries popping up. And they go right through to the end of the season without letting up at all. We've seen this too many seasons in a row now. And at an extreme like we've never seen before with it showing no signs of improving. So whether it be working more closely with players, pouring your infinite amounts of money and resources, if you're the Yankees, into other trainers, into other specialists who can offer different perspectives and strategies into this arena, anything you can think of. Outside of just going by Eric Cressy's word and other people that might be on his team because it's clearly not working. It's Tough to prevent all injury, especially now because the Yankees aren't the only team out there with injuries, and I'm not going to pretend like they are. But there is something really, really happening here. And it's just gotten to a point where it's completely out of control. And you've got to be trying to do absolutely anything within your power with the infinite amount of resources you have to try to find any sorts of answers to why your guys cannot stay on the field if their lives depended on it. You've got to figure this out. And then obviously, like I said, you have the actual roster to attend to. You have a lot of work to do. Figuring out where to play some of the young kids, who to keep up, and who to send back down once next season starts. And which external additions to make. You have to make moves here. Whether it be signing Bellinger, somehow trading for Soto, going to Japan and looking into Yamamoto despite how many teams are going to be in on him. Do something. You cannot stay idle. That's something that cannot be done. And the main way that I encourage myself that something, just something major has to happen this offseason is I look and I factually just come to terms with in my head, the Yankees have had their worst season in over 30 years. No matter how much you want to deny reality, I would hope even they accept that reality. And this is considered in the last over three decades 
rock bottom for the Yankees. And when you're at rock bottom, there's only one direction you could go. And this may be the wake-up call for them to actually do something that actually is meaningful and can turn the tides and have them be the great Yankees again. Make the moves that are necessary to be made. Not move, moves. Plural. There is much work to do. As I've said for weeks now, now that we're officially in the offseason and can go even deeper into this, it cannot be overstated. They have a lot of work to do. Multiple moves. Multiple facets of the team to evaluate and change and improve. So, that's what gives me hope that this was the worst season in over 30 years. They've hit bottom in a lot of ways. I mean, they were at the bottom of the league in damn near every single offensive category known to man this year, if they weren't at the very bottom with certain statistics, which they were. They were one of the worst teams in the world at getting on base, for instance, and I mean, I mean that's the name of the game right there, getting on base. And of course, driving them in, obviously. But... They even hit less home runs this year, what they're most known for, the Bronx Bombers. They even strayed from that. They strayed away from anything that made them successful in the past. Even if it's just one means to success. They even abandoned that. So that's what gives me maybe a little bit of confidence, the fact that this is the worst season in decades and decades for the Yankees. So that must mean that they have in their mind that they have to at least do some things, hopefully things, plural, to turn this around. But then there's the other side of me that says the Yankees have talked big games before. But they also have not lost this many games and performed this poorly in my lifetime. However, they still have talked a big game, even if they were much more successful in the past times of doing this. They have talked a big game and they have not come through with it. And they've said that Someone like Sean Casey sticking around. They've said that Boone is sticking around. You have to imagine Cashman sticking around. And if those big guys at the center of all of this, especially Cashman, I mean, that's the big guy, and how Steinbrenner is not willing to make any major changes in his team underneath him, well, that just, the thought creeps into your mind. At least it does into mine, and that's why this is called what it is, this episode. Are we on the road to nowhere? Or will changes actually be made? I, for one, think that they have to add a pitcher, starting pitcher. I would love Yamamoto, but he's going to cost quite a bit of money. Not sure if the Yankees are going to be willing to do that with all the big contracts they already have in the books. Their fault, yes, no one feels bad for them. But because of that fact, I'm not so sure they'd be willing to go through the roof like some other organizations might be willing to. And there are going to be plenty of teams in on him. The Yankees most certainly have to acquire an outfielder, lefty hitting preferably. Obviously, guys like Bellinger via signing, Soto via trade, fit that. Then you have the lesser options, guys like Carlson, Kiermaier, who also both fit that, can bat from the left side of the plate. (sighs) But who would actually make a difference? Obviously, the former two would make much more of a difference. But would they be willing to do that? And someone like Bellinger, before this year, for a bunch of years, was a pitiful player. Had completely regressed from what he was prior. And now, what I potentially foresee as a 
possibly nightmarish contract could come to fruition. Had a killer season with the Cubs, very nice year. Gets signed to big money, and he could very well regress again, especially in this town. If he just if the downfall happens quickly, the fans will get on him. Not saying it's the fans' fault, just saying the behaviors that happen here in New York, naturally so. And the players have to know this when they come here and be ready for it. They know what they're getting into if they sign here. But especially if it happens very quickly, that downfall could be very fast and very ugly. And that'll be a lot more money the Yankees are shoveling out to someone else to massively underperform, and that'll have been, you know, people look back on that and say, oh, how foolish they were to sign him. He only had one good season inside of four or five years, and the Yankees thought that good enough to just give him big money, and naturally he came here and sucked. I am very afraid of that scenario taking place. And it wouldn't nearly be the first time for the Yankees, and it would not nearly be the last either. Juan Soto obviously isn't quite the same hitter he was before, obviously. Anybody who has the chance of getting him is still going to take it in a heartbeat. No doubt about that, as would I. But it's a different thing because you have to trade for him. What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to part ways with? So there's a lot of discussion with that. So you have a pitcher. You have outfield options they could have. And then also you have a bunch of kids that they could keep up here to continue to develop. We saw what Peraza was able to do to end the season when he had some more consistent at-bats. You obviously have the choice of maybe keeping Pereira up here. Obviously, there was a lot to be desired when it comes to his bat as well. Obviously, has a lot more developing to do. Will the Yankees give him a chance to do that in the outfield next year? I mean, who knows? Or do you send him back down to give him more time? When could you possibly see guys like Spencer Jones? Jason Dominguez is not going to be back until like the middle of the season. What do you do when he's ready to go, depending on certain moves that you might make this winter to compensate for missing the first half? Lots of questions. Lots of scenarios can play out here. It's very complicated. But definitely, at least while Dominguez is out after the phenomenal week that he had before the UCL injury resulting in him getting Tommy John surgery and having to miss at least half of 2024, give or take, what do you do in the meantime? Well, the Yankees have to make a move like they have to make a move in many areas, like I've said, like a broken record at this point. Point is, they have a lot of work to do. And here in just the first week of the offseason, that's really the main thought. And that's why I thought I'd make it the social media segment, because the thought on everyone's mind nowadays is the offseason has just begun. Obviously, people are also consumed with postseason baseball, as am I. I'm having a great time watching it each and every second, not taking it for granted. But also, us Yankee fans are also sitting here thinking what could possibly happen this winter and what do we think could realistically take place. So I thought that'd be a good social media question for today. Which changes, if any, do you think the Yankees might actually be willing to make this offseason? Might actually be willing to? And there are some people probably out there who think they would remain completely stagnant. And guess what? Based on past behavior... You have every right to think that. And even if you do think they'll make a move and you just don't think it'll pan out, you even more so have a right to think that because that's a scenario that more often plays out. (laughs) More often than not, except if you're talking about this year's trade deadline, even though they were still moves, but, you know, what kind of moves were they is the real question. Cashman will more than often than not, he will physically make a move. It's just a matter of what kind of a move it is. Is it dumpster diving? Is it a worthy player and then it just doesn't pan out? Well, that's why you have a reason to think the latter. (laughs) Will he make a move and then it just doesn't work out? I mean, that's what happens a lot with the Yankees. It's not very likely they'll stay completely stagnant. 
but I mean, the thought does creep into your mind when you're thinking about certain things that they have already more or less announced or alluded to that they have no intention of changing that would really bring about legitimate change, like Cashman and his regime. But we'll see. Nothing's a guarantee yet. But that is your question for this week, and I thought I'd throw that out there. What things I actually think they could change or do? I think you could actually see an overhaul in the analytics department. I think they could actually end up doing that. I don't think it's completely unlikely. I think it could bring some other people aboard who can bring some new ideas, some new perspective. I don't think that that's out of the question. As far as the roster, I really only think they're going to do maybe one thing. We're lucky if we get two. Maybe they'll do two. They definitely need a starting pitcher. I think they will definitely at least be very in on Yamamoto because, I mean, Cashman flew to Japan to watch him pitch, so they're definitely in on him, no doubt. So I expect them to make a serious run at him. Will they actually get him? I don't know. And how much they will be actually willing to spend given what they already have in the books, despite the fact that they are the Yankees and they should be willing to spend whatever is necessary to get back on top, I do not know. But I do think it's very likely they get an outfielder as well. I mean, they have to. They literally need to get an outfielder. Because the only other alternative, with Jason being out for probably about half the season, and if you don't get another outfielder otherwise, you're going to have to start the season with someone like Estevan Florial, which, yes, you do see flashes of potential in for years now, especially when given consistent at-bats, but what really is the message after a season like this one? What really is the message that you're conveying to the fans when you start the 2024 season saying Estevan Florial Someone who he actually DFA'd at one point just last year is starting in center field for the Yankees in 2024 after we just had our worst season in over 30 years. What kind of message does that convey? Rather than, yeah, our starting outfielder, whether it be center field, left field, what have you, I mean, how much better would it be received by the fans if it was Cody Bellinger or Juan Soto or someone of that caliber? I mean, yeah, it has to work out as well. It's not a guarantee that it'll work out, but I mean, (laughs) what kind of message will it send to the fans in contrast to having Estevan Florial as your starting center fielder and not having changed a damn thing? So I do think they'll make at least one move for an outfielder. I really hope they do. I really hope so. But it's very likely that they only make one move. And that wouldn't be enough. And if they don't do enough, then you are also still just on that road to nowhere, it'll feel like, because it won't be nearly enough. Not nearly. They need to look into analytics. They need to work with the players and work with the training staff and find out how to minimize injuries as much as possible so this ridiculousness stops that we have witnessed year in and year out of no one, damn near no one, being able to stay on the field, and they need to change the roster. And I only think they might do just one thing with the roster, whether it be an outfielder or a pitcher, and all the names that are out there. I've mentioned a lot of them, given some brief detail on a lot of them. But the roster, I only see them maybe making one move. I'll be shocked if they do much more than that. Because again, With what they've done in recent years, I need to see it actually happen. And the Yankees have not been a team that does what needs to be done. A lot of the time when they find 
a good thing. It's a reclamation project that eventually fades out and turns into nothing. Or it's just stumbling into freak luck with certain players. And yeah, sometimes that's how it goes. That does lead to success for some teams. Someone stepping up who you never imagined. That does happen sometimes. But you gotta go for the kill here. You've gotta do the things that could actually most likely bring about legitimate change. Because enough is enough, guys. Enough is enough. So, I do think that they could change some things, but I don't think it's going to be nearly enough if they even do anything. I just don't think they have it in them to really truly understand what the problems are, let alone how to fix them. I mean, regardless of the scenario, this has proven to be an organization that time and again routinely just denies what's going on right in front of them. So how can you trust an organization like that to do what's right or even diagnose what the real problem is or problems are? And that's where the thoughts of being on the road to nowhere creep in. But that's the social media question for this week. I figured I'd gauge your thoughts and see where you guys are at as far as what you think. So let's hear some replies. First up, we got at Yankee Ken saying, Getting rid of Fishman and Cressy. The analytics approach and the health continue to hinder the team as well as the roster construction. Yeah. Fishman, when it comes to how things are implemented with the team, definitely one of Cashman's right-hand men, I would have to imagine. And Eric Cressy, really the head of the health and performance staff. It's probably where a lot of the guys get their advice from. So, should he be questioned? He absolutely should be. Anybody who's the head of those should be questioned amidst these times where these injuries are happening at a frightening rate like they have been for years. And he wasn't always the head of health and performance the last few years, but he has been for some time now, and the injuries are not getting any better. So I'm sure they have their discussions with him, and they should continue to do so. I don't know if they would really consider getting rid of them, but guys like him and Fishman, but... Maybe you bring even more guys around to offer different perspectives and ideals. Because the Yankees really should not be flawed in much of any area, but especially in these areas that are so vital to a team being a team, being able to perform. We're talking about the Yankees here who have access to infinite amounts of resources in their field. It's just baffling to me, as it is for so many how they could so stunningly lack in these areas. It's amazing. Up next, we got at Brian CPT saying, Unfortunately, my top three, Cashman, Hal, and Boone, should all be gone, but I doubt it. I do think the analytics team will get an overhaul, and that is seriously needed. That might be the biggest realistic change, as I think behind-the-scenes changes are most likely. Yeah, I hear you. And that's one of the things I said, the analytics team. I definitely do think that guys like Cashman, and well, they've already said this with Boone, but I even predicted it a while ago. It wasn't hard to predict. I do think that guys like Cashman and Boone are staying put. Much to my dislike and the dislike of many. But Hal, of course, yeah, unless he sells the team, he ain't going anywhere. And he's obviously set in his ways in a lot of ways. So yeah, those changes should not be expected as much as many of them may need to happen. They probably won't. Well, definitely won't. 
But yeah, any changes, I do think if you do see any, it's going to be internally, whether they get anyone from the outside to evaluate or if they just evaluate themselves, which I think is really dangerous because they can't even diagnose their own issues, let alone think about how to fix them. Like I said, first step to fixing a problem is realizing and acknowledging that there even is a problem and what it even is. So if they actually end up making serious changes in the analytical department, then maybe that could bring about some change because it could very well change in-game strategies. And you could really see a difference in certain things. Who knows? Maybe that would help. But yeah, you're definitely more likely to get that than any sort of external change. I do think an external change will happen because, I mean, they're borderline being forced to because the Yankees cannot go into next season without having changed anything external from an external standpoint, a player from outside, because that just sends a beyond horrible message to the fans and as to where their mentality is and their real desire to win. So I do think they're going to be forced, you know, their hands have been forced to do at least one thing, which I guess is a benefit of having a crappy season like this. If there even are any benefits, I guess that would be one of them. It really, like, forces their hand more so than if they still had, like, a 97-win season, and they could just defend that and say, oh, we even might have won the division, even though they wouldn't have with 97 wins, but you get the point. In past years, 97 wins is often enough to win a division. So you say, oh, we still won a division, 97 games, so what we're doing is right, we just couldn't get it done with the ultimate goal. You know, the usual crap that they've spewed in the past bunch of years. But this year, barely finishing over 500 and having the worst season in over 30 years, they have to do at least one thing. They have to. Have to. And if they don't, (laughs) I feel like the fans are going to respond pretty harshly. No doubt, behind-the-scenes change is definitely most likely, though. Up next is that Cashman sucks and why, why? <laughs> Can't get enough of that handle every week. Saying, hopefully their analytics go. Well, by go, you mean changed or like go completely abolished? Because if you mean completely abolished, they're not going to go. It's part of the game, no matter what organization you talk about. And numbers are part of the game. That's just not going to change. But they can be implemented differently. And that's what's important here. Up next, we have my buddy James at RebirthChaos09 saying, Changes, maybe one or two of the analytics guys go, but nothing significant. They'll probably patchwork this team and sell, if we were healthy, we would be a playoff team. Unless Hal grows a set and makes changes in the front office, nothing will happen. It's a lot of where my mindset is, dude, unfortunately. Like I said, if guys like Cashman are sticking around, then that is a big indication to me, like I've said. Cashman's the big one for me. He is... A big indicator as to what's going to take place. We have seen a lot of his behaviors. We've seen a lot of his habits the last few years amidst the Yankees constantly coming up short. Now he's really going to be put to the fire in a year where the Yankees had their worst season in over 30 years. How does he respond? Or how does he not respond? It's tricky. It really is. But yeah, like you even said, they they really can't use that much they, can't, they don't have many excuses. Yeah, they could use the injury excuse, but nobody's going to listen to it anymore. People are tired of it. Because even without certain injuries that they had, there were certain parts of the year this year where they had enough big players in this lineup to make a difference. That could have done a lot more. I mean, you look at how DJ has continued to regress. You look at the season that Stanton had. There are just certain players, and they're not getting any younger, that really could have lessened the blow that the Yankees took this year, and they just did not come through. They really didn't. Glaber was a consistent piece the entire year. 
And then even, you know, even though he wasn't playing at 100%, Judge was still around for a bit of the second half, especially the home stretch. So, a lot could have happened where they could have still definitely won more than 82 freaking games, despite the injuries. The injuries are bad, and they definitely take their toll, but you've come to a point where you can no longer use that as an excuse if you're the Yankees. People are tired of hearing that. And the main thing that people just say when they hear that is say, well, figure it out. You're the Yankees. You can spend a ton of money on people and resources to find out how to mitigate this problem. And it's only getting worse as the years pass. So yeah, it comes down to just growing a set, like you said. Make the changes that have to be made. But even you're saying the analytics guys, yeah, because behind the scenes are most likely. You're right. I can't disagree with that. Next, we have at baseball TZAR saying, I see another starting pitcher and a solid left fielder or center fielder and firing some trainers and coaches, maybe an experienced bench coach to put some heat on Boone. Extend Glaber and don't bring back Montas or Sevi. Try to move DJ Rizzo or Giancarlo. Yeah, starting fielder or outfielder, center fielder, left field. One of those at least. I mean, they, they just have to happen. They have to. The Yankees' hands have really been forced. I mean, they could really have the nerve to not do anything, but they really, their hands have been forced here. I'm pretty sure we'll see one or the other, even if it's not something that we like. But an experienced bench coach, I don't, I don't know if that's really going to put any sort of heat on Boone. If, if Boone is to get any sort of heat, it's going to come from higher up than him. I even did hear some people saying that the Yankees are going to make him be a tougher coach this year and have him, you know, put more pressure on guys and be a little bit harsher and be, you know, crack the whip a little bit more, be a little bit more disciplinary. I mean, I don't know, what, are we going to force Boone to just be someone that he's not at this point? Like, I don't know. I don't know where that gets you. If you want a different kind of manager, then why don't you just get a different manager rather than just keeping the one that you already have and making him act different than he has all these years, be different than the guy that these players have come to know for all these years. I don't really see that benefiting anyone in any sort of a way. Is Boone even capable of that? And, you know, some people may question how true it is, how authentic it is, because if he's disciplining players now all of a sudden, much more so than usual, then how seriously can the players even take it? They'll be like, oh, this isn't usually how Boone is. He's just gotten a reprimanding from the front office to be tougher because we sucked last year. And they might not even respect it or even really care. I mean, you even heard about Judge talking about lack of urgency this year and the fact that they just did not have a killer instinct whatsoever, finishing off teams the way that they should have, whether it be securing a series win or securing a sweep, no matter what it was, just not having that urgency, not seeming to care as much as before, period. So I don't really think asking someone to be something they're not is really going to help much of anything. But I don't know. I don't know if a bench coach anyway would really inspire anything like that. I don't think they have much of a say either, just like the hitting coaches and and the pitching coach doesn't have too much of a say. I think Matt Blake probably has the most say of any coach in that dugout right now. But, I mean, even they're limited, though, because a lot of it comes from up top. Like I say, Cashman's the big guy and his brain trust. It's them. And if nothing changes there, it's hard to imagine anything significant changing with this team. That's what I keep on saying. Extending Glaber, I don't hate that at all. 
I don't. He was the best hitter on the team in 2023. Most consistent, definitely, even through the darkest of times. Yeah, guys like Montas and Sevi, we've mentioned, they just got to let them walk. You have to. But I could see them, you know, even if it's just nonsensical, based off of just one relief appearance in the last couple of days of the year, I could see them maybe bringing back Montas in a one-year prove-it deal nonsensically. But yeah, Sevi, they got to let walk. Um, DJ Rizzo or Giancarlo, unless you eat at least a good chunk of Giancarlo's contract, he's just not going anywhere. He's not. DJ's in the midst of his contract as well, even though I know it's tough with him because he has definitely declined the last couple of years and he is not getting any younger. Rizzo's kind of a question mark, though, because if he's able to shake off these concussion issues and come back fresh next year, and if he starts the season the way he started 2023, looking like he was getting ready to have a career year, then maybe it could work out with him. I'd be willing to give him another shot. But yeah, the other two, DJ and Giancarlo, I don't think either are going anywhere. I mean, they're just, you know, the core of what the Yankees hope are solid in order to succeed, obviously, but they're not getting any younger. It's tough. The Yankees are in a tough spot right now as an organization. At our Hydric 24 says, they'll find the balls to somehow shed Stanton's contract and completely retool the lineup with fresh faces. Wow, so you actually see a lot potentially happening. Okay, very interesting. I definitely don't think they're going to do that much. I'd be shocked. I mean, completely retool the entire lineup. I, I don't see that happening. I'll be shocked if it does. Pleasantly surprised, but shocked. And shed Stanton's entire contract? Uh, I don't see that either. I don't. John is going to be back next year. I'll be absolutely speechless if he's not. I'll be completely shell shocked. At Sean ninety nine sixty six zero seven six four says a decent starting pitcher. Well, Yamamoto or anyone else, they really should. A lot of question marks in that rotation. Lots. At B Welch nineteen forty three says no officer coaching changes. Matt Chapman and Eduardo Rodriguez added. And they got to do more than that. They got to. They got to do more than that. That will not be enough for a lot of people. Rebecca at Peace Now for Life says, Hi, Mike. Hey, Rebecca. I think some of the analytical department personnel will be let go. On the field, I think they'll go after Yamamoto for pitching and one of either Bellinger or Kiermaier. Perhaps a trade for another bat. Probably left-handed. Well, you trade for a left-handed bat, possibly an outfielder. That spells out Juan Soto to me, regardless of how unlikely it is that... Basically, what that spells out. And Yamamoto or a potential outfielder, yeah, it can't just be Kiermaier for the outfield, though. It can't be. The Yankees need someone who hits better than that. I mean, would that be a really great speed option? Would he be a left-handed hitter? Would he be a terrific outfielder, glove? Uh, Yeah, yeah. But the Yankees also need offense. And they won't get a lot of that with him. They just won't. I'd feel a lot better, though, if they were willing to do a starting pitching move and an outfielding move. I just, I don't know. We'll see. They just have so much work to do. They really do. So much to do. At Musician DMD, Spencer says, Judge has clout. While we don't see it with our eyes, there will be changes with analytics, how they're incorporated into the Yankees, and certain guys being gone and remaining. Gone, Severino, Montas, IKF, Higgy, Bowers, McKinney. Remaining, Glaber. Rizzo will still be out. Left field will not be filled by a defined left fielder. Well, that doesn't have me feeling too great then. I mean, hopefully there are changes. And yes, like I mentioned before, Judge speaking up the way he has and he's talking to people in the front office or so he says, and I believe him. 
you know, like I said, their hands have been forced, whether it be by Judge or the fan base, just because of the season that they had there, worse in over 30 years. They really don't have much of a choice, so something has to change, whether it be behind the scenes. And I even said last week, we don't, we probably will never really know if the changes do take place, how much of them Judge was really responsible for and in their ears about. But you just hope that because of him and for the fact of how awful the season was, that things do happen. It would do them well to make analytical changes, but they definitely have to make on-field changes as well. When it comes to those who will be gone or should be gone that you listed here, I agree with basically all of them. Severino definitely has got to walk. Montas, I could see them bringing him back on a one-year prove-it deal, but he really should walk. IKF, I mean, while they have all these kids now who could really use some legitimate developing time, I just don't think he's needed here anymore. For that, for that kind of utility, you know, six, seven million dollars, that could be allocated elsewhere. Higashioka, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a good topic to catching. With Trevino coming back in 2024, I definitely want Austin Wells to be having most of the catching reps and Trevino probably being his backup in that sense. So there's really not much of a need for Higgy at that point. So I would agree with that as well if the Yankees do the right thing and keep Austin Wells up here and continue his development because we definitely saw quite a bit of promising things. Did better defensively than I thought he would and definitely showed potential at the plate. Bowers and McKinney should definitely be gone, especially Bowers. is one of the worst Yankee hitters I've ever seen. Glaber remaining, agree with that. Rizzo, I hope he's not still out. I know the concussion thing can be tricky, but I mean, he was saying he was feeling really good towards the end of the season in the last couple of weeks, and he's only going to have an entire winter to rest outside of that. So hopefully that means he could be fresh in 2024, I pray. And we've had enough of seeing left field or just the outfield in general not being occupied by actual outfielders or those specific outfielders. So they need to get a skilled, experienced outfielder in the outfield. Enough with utility guys out there. Enough with with trials and trying different things out. No, it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. The experiments have failed for the most part. So get someone out there who can actually play left field or whichever position you require of them. Who actually has experience out there and skill. Enough of the trials. I mean, I don't know how everybody isn't feeling this way by now. I'm not saying you're not feeling that way, Spencer, but... I mean, that would be really disappointing to, again, have an outfield position not occupied by a skilled, experienced outfielder. It's very irritating. At DB Yankees 1 says, I think they'll add an outfielder, probably a starting pitcher, and a bullpen piece. Nothing major in the front office. Well, the front office is a big key. So yeah, if nothing changes with Brian Cashman himself or in his brain trust, yeah, not too much is going to change. I agree. I've been on that page for a long time now. And I definitely don't think Cashman's going anywhere, unfortunately. If they make that many moves with the roster, though, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. Anything more than just one move like they did last year, really. Just signing Rodon, and that's really all they did. They said, oh, yeah, we, we changed things. What are you talking about? What did you change? What did you change from an external standpoint? You literally signed Rodon. They say, oh, they signed Judge and Rizzo. Yeah, they did, but they're already here. Yeah, were they free agents? Were they out there? Yeah, but you just bought them back. They were here the year prior already. That's not a change. You reinstated them. They came back. The external change you made was Rodon. The other offensive change you made outside of September call-ups and any, any moves you had to make with the roster amidst the middle of the season because all your injuries to start the year was bringing up Volpe. That's not an external move. That's from within the organization. And do they deserve credit for starting him off and actually sticking to their guns, having him develop 
in the major leagues this whole year, yeah, they deserve credit for that. But that's not an external change. The only change you made was Rodon. Despite after that saying, oh, we're not done yet, you were done. That's why taking them at their word isn't always the easiest thing to do. So more than just one move, that would actually be nice. Outfield and starting pitching, those are the big priorities, of course. At Papa D eleven thirteen says raise ticket prices guaranteed. <laughs> it's not a bad guess. It's not a bad one. At Jeff Kagan one says unfortunately it doesn't sound like there will be any major front office or management changes. Glaber gets a new deal. Need to move Stanton. Try to work a deal with some younger hitters and pitching. Not sure that Soto or Otani are in the cards. Soto would be lovely, and he's definitely more likely than Otani. Otani not pitching until 2025 because of his Tommy John really sucks and takes away maybe maybe a little bit of value. But I've also repeated many times, he has expressed that he does not want to be on the East Coast in general and on the Yankees specifically either in the past. So he's not coming here regardless, guys. Let Otani go. Take him out of your mind. It's a waste of time. Glaber getting a new deal after his 2023 not only would be deserved, but it is pretty expected at this point, especially because where are you finding that kind of production at second base consistently? throughout the rest of the game. I mean, maybe a couple of options, but it's really hard to find. And you'd be getting rid of the most consistent and skilled hitter in 2023 for the Yankees. I mean, Judge is still there, yeah. And some of his numbers still triumphed Glaber's, but on the standpoint of the entire season and what Glaber meant to the team, being a light and symbol of consistency when there was absolutely none. Consistency and positivity, that means a lot. So, yeah. Him being back is very likely. Stanton's not going anywhere, at least as of now, guys. Not now. I'll be shocked if he does. I will be shocked. I don't think it'd be a brutal thing after the season he had, even though I'm a Stanton defender, but, I mean, he's got to be held accountable. And he holds himself accountable, yeah, but, I mean, that doesn't change the fact that he had a miserable season, and he's not showing any signs of being able to stay healthy long-term again, which is not good. It's not good, especially with the money he's being paid. Young hitters and pitching, I mean, that could come from some of the kids they got to see develop a bit, who they're willing to keep up and continue to develop starting in 2024. And the pitching, yeah, they need starting pitching. A lot of people may be saying only offense. Yeah, offense is definitely the one that they have to address the most, if I had to say, but the starting rotation is a big mystery. There's a lot of question marks there. You cannot deny that. All right, let's just do a few more. Um, up next is actually my mom's boyfriend, actually, <laughs> wanted to send a reply with this. My man, Jack. And Jack says, I think the Yankees need help in five positions. Third base, left field, center field, and two starting pitchers. I don't think my request will happen because of Brian Cashman. If he does fill these positions, I still don't think it will be right because Cashman doesn't know good talent. So I can probably see one new position filled in 2024. Yeah, it's a fact. They have a lot of work to do. Yeah, they do. And... If you're not starting Everson Pereira out in left field in 2024, or if Oswaldo Cabrera is not going to be getting too many reps out there either, I mean, you need a center fielder and a left fielder. Even if you're putting Oswaldo out there, he's not a pure left fielder. He's a utility guy that that can play almost every position and is definitely very valuable, but you need an outfielder, not a utility guy anymore. You saw some of your lowest production offensively from left field and also some of your worst defense for a reason because they have not had an outfielder. 
They've had utility men out there. Enough is enough with that. It is a failed experiment for years now. I've had enough of it. You get someone who can play the position and is experienced out there. So with Jason missing the time that he is, and if you don't make any external moves, you need a center fielder and a left fielder. So yeah, you're right. That's two positions right there. I mean, you do have the option of having DJ, or if you keep Peraza up, he could play third base as well. So you do have third baseman, unless you want to get a definitive one. But you do have a couple of options there, and Peraza showcased a terrific glove in the field, especially at shortstop, but also at third base. He's just a good defender. You also have Cabrera, who could play just about any infield position. He's even had some reps at first base, as we know. So you do have your infielders, so that's, you know, that's... Up to your preference, I guess, whether or not they need third base help. But also, yeah, starting pitchers, yeah, they could use them. We mentioned how much of a mystery the rotation is. They got a lot of work to do. Is Cashman actually willing to do it? And if he does, will it be the right moves? That's the question. And he has not really earned the right to have us really believe in him, as we said. And that's where the thoughts creep in. I don't really trust him. So, And the fact that he's even sticking around in the first place. Are there going to be any necessary moves in the front office? Are we on the road to nowhere? Nothing happening. Food for thought. Let's do the last couple as usual. First up, my girlfriend at Vic Salimo saying, I think the players will be willing to make a lot of changes on the field, but the question is whether or not the front office will get on the same page and make them. I think one thing Judge still wants to change is the attitude around the clubhouse. He's got that winner's mentality. Yeah. (laughs) And in his interview, he definitely, definitely showed that. A lot of times where you could definitely tell he held back a lot of what he wanted to say. But he definitely got the point across in those moments in the interview where he paused a lot and really thought through what he wanted to say and how he wanted to say it. There's a lot of lack of urgency there that he vows will not happen again next year and how things are going to be different than they were this year. He was not happy with a lot of it. And again, how much of a role he truly has in it ultimately, that remains to be seen. Or maybe someday he or somebody else will reveal that he may have had a lot to do with any potential change that is to happen. We'll see. But unless we're in with the Yankees organization as of now, there's, it's really tough to tell that. But we'll see how much change does really happen. Last but certainly not least, my mom, Julia Gina Scudero. Let's see what she has to add. She says, I actually believe that because Aaron Judge said things are going to change, that we will see some changes. I believe not making the playoffs rattled everyone's cages up to the front office even. Listen, when you hit rock bottom, there's only one way to go. That's up. They need some outfielders with good bats and starting pitchers and all have to be people that don't require surgery three minutes after they just started playing. (laughs) Still think these guys train to look good, but overtrain, leaving their bodies ridiculously vulnerable. In the past, we didn't have built baseball players to this degree. Let's hope for the best. Mom, a lot of what you just said was 100% true from top to bottom, and I mean... Hopefully, we hope that Aaron Judge speaking like that really is a reflection of the organization at large as to what they're really truly hoping to do and looking to do. You hope so, because a lot of the time, certain people in this organization you feel like are are a mouthpiece for this entire team, at least from a player's perspective, Aaron Judge is. Maybe from the front office, Aaron Boone is that. So you got a couple of Aarons that are, you know, basically mouthpieces for different aspects of the Yankees organization. Maybe sometimes they overlap, but you hope that that's the case. Not making the playoffs and hitting bottom, like you said, I even mentioned that before. Definitely a great point about rock bottom. Maybe this is uh, what will finally do it. But these outfielders, pitchers, yeah, 
A lot of work to do. And the injuries. Love that you said don't require surgery within three minutes. Because <laughs> it is true. That is true. So, and yeah, not having the bodies that, you know, they did back then. You know, some really good baseball players that were in some really good shape. Absolutely. But yeah, you get the Giancarlo Stantons out there who were just constantly injured. And you see some baseball players who had bodies that weren't quite on par with that, to say the least. Able to play more, play more often. Yeah, it gets you thinking. Could some less training do them better? Or maybe just... They just got to talk with Giancarlo more and get a better program together for him, honestly. Because whatever it is right now is not working. That's very obvious. But he's not the only one. I mean, he's a big issue because of how often he's been hurt. He's been hurt for nearly half of his entire time on the Yankees the last bunch of years now, since 2018, since he came over here from Miami. And that's a problem. And a lot of the other guys who are getting hurt regularly, they... um. They got to figure this thing out. The Yankees got to get better resources to try to lessen this because it has become a humongous, it's become a travesty at this point, quite frankly. It really has. So a lot of work to do. Like you said, a lot of work to do. We got all offseason to talk about it. But as for this offseason episode, guys, that is all for episode 198 of Yapping Yankees today. I would say we got through quite a bit talking about potential changes. I would say it's a good way to start the offseason talking about what could happen. Now going forward, what I usually do to start the offseason is I take one aspect of the team piece by piece and analyze what could be changed, who could be involved in that change, what they could do to make it happen. So as there is every offseason, definitely quite a bit of exciting discussion to come, guys, and I'm looking forward to it. That and the continuation of playoff baseball. Right now, the Twins and Astros are on because the Rangers did officially win. The Orioles made it a little interesting, though, getting to eight runs, so the Rangers won 11-8, to high-scoring affair in Baltimore. But they're headed to Texas with the Rangers having a 2 to nothing series lead, and the Twins are actually out to a 3 nothing lead over the Astros in Houston in Game 2, so we'll see how this one shakes out. See what the Astros do. Obviously, this is not the same Astros team of years past, no doubt about that, but I do still think they'll make it past this round, so that'll be interesting. But the Twins, out to a 3 nothing lead. Looking forward to the rest of this, as I am for the remainder of off-season chatter with the Yankees, guys. But in the meantime, remember to follow me on all socials if you do not already, my friends. Facebook fan page, Mike Scudero NY. Twitter, at Mike Scudero. And Instagram is MikeScuds97. Be sure to subscribe to Yapping Yankees on all four of the platforms that it is available on. That is YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Show your love across all four of them like you all always do such a great job at doing, my good people. And if you've missed any episodes of Yapping Yankees, do not worry. Episodes 34 all the way up to today's episode, episode 198, are available on YouTube. And every single Yapping Yankees episode going all the way back to episode 1 over four years ago. All the way up to today's episode are all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Once again, I thank you 3,000 for listening to me yap today. As always, my friends, I have been your host, Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you next Sunday, October the 15th, when I come at you with episode 199 of Yapping Yankees, the last episode before the great bicentennial. 200. But until then, guys, as I always say, hang in there, be patient, stay safe, look out for your loved ones. Regardless of what happens this week, go ahead and kick life's ass, my friends. And also, while it's going on, 
if you care about baseball beyond just the Yankees, just continue to enjoy postseason baseball as I have. You might as well, even if you don't, because once it's done, that's the last baseball we're getting until February. So you might as well watch and enjoy what you can before we don't have it anymore throughout a long, dark winter. Hopefully it's not. Pray it's not, because we are not winter fans around here. So, but with that said, if you're not a fan of that, then let's just hang around and just hope that we see any sorts of changes for the better that the Yankees could possibly make to come back more improved and stronger in 2024, because that's the goal. And we're here on Yapping Yankees all winter long, talking about how they could possibly make that happen. Until next week, my friends, take care, and let's go Yanks. Yanks.